the fuck are you doing today? This is Connor Falk, and this is the What the Falk Show. I appreciate you taking the time to listen, be it through SoundCloud, iTunes, or the Stitcher app. Now, what is the What the Falk Show? It's more than just a guy like me with a crazy last name. The What the Falk Show is an entertaining and informational interview process that I like to have conversations with different people, be it through entertainment, food, music, sports, education, any kind of different interesting people I could find and come on the show, talk about what they do in their business. So people like you who are in traffic, or you're at school, or you're playing a video game, or you don't want to listen to your boyfriend or girlfriend, you can listen to some words that maybe might add some information into your day, maybe might lead you to go and travel and experience some things that you haven't yet. Either way, it's for me to try to fill some times in those boring parts of the day. The What The Falk Show can be found on SoundCloud, iTunes, and the Stitcher app. The sponsor of the show, Ferris Pizza, the best pizza for the best price in Bakersfield, California. Any pizza fans going through Bakersfield, check that out today. Now, The What The Falk Show this week, I'm really happy to have Josh Denny. Josh Denny is a comedian, actor, overall just a hilarious guy. He's going to go ahead and come on the show and give us some insight of what's it like being a stand-up comic in Los Angeles, what's it like traveling as a stand-up comic, what's it like being in different regions of the country and what's it like be- bringing comedy to those different regions the good the bad the ugly and everything in between go ahead and call josh and get him on the show today this is what the falk show thank you for falcon joining let's falcon have a good time tonight hello josh denny how the falk are you this is connor falk and you're on the what the falk show it's pretty good. I'm happy to have you on the show. I'm happy to have someone funny, someone who's been around in the country, someone who works in entertainment in front, behind the camera, many different things. I'm overall just excited for you to provide some insight into what you do, and I know it's certainly going to be something entertaining for the listener. Yeah, it should be fun. So you've been doing this for a while now, starting off in Philadelphia, coming out here in LA. You've performed in many different parts of the country, but I wanted to ask you, first off, when did you first get your love for comedy? When did you know it was going to be something that you're going to be doing for the rest of your life? Well, I think those are, I mean, those are two different questions, right? So I, I think I really fell in love with stand-up when I was a kid, you know, when I was like 10, 11 years old. I remember I used to stay up really late at night and watch, uh, you know, like Martin Lawrence, and uh, I would watch like Def Comedy Jam, and, and some of that stuff that was really big in the early 90s. And then in terms of doing stand-up, I started back in 2007, January of 2007, and I think you know, from the very first performance I ever did, I did a small open mic in uh, Rochester, Minnesota. I was living in Minneapolis at the time, and I nice. I had like spent about a month writing material, and then went there and did it, and was kind of hooked right away. Now, did you have any? You said Martin Lawrence and Def Jam Comedy. Did you have any certain like mentors or people that really left an impression on you? That kind of left you thinking, okay, if I'm going to perform comedy, this is the kind I'm going to do. Yeah, I think. Um, you know, early on, I mean, when you look at, or even if you look at early stand-up videos I did and stuff, I think David Tell was definitely one of my early influences. Same with George Carlin. Mm. Those are guys that I was really into when I first started performing comedy. But as a kid, I think my favorites were definitely Martin Lawrence and, and Robin Williams. You know, I think I always kind of saw those guys performing as larger than life, and, I, and that wasn't really my style. And then as I got older, seeing guys like David Tell, who really just, great writers and, and great storytellers that kind of that kind of brought the art form to me where I felt like it was something I could do yeah you know? and uh, yeah. It, was, it made it seem sort of more attainable yeah that makes sense because there's probably people listening right now be it wherever, wherever they are in the country or, or different parts of the world and thinking you know I sometimes I could be funny I've thought about doing stand-up but I don't exactly know what my what my type of comedy would be but like you said you have Ron Williams you have David Tell George Carlin many different ways to kind of be yourself and give your comedy so everyone kind of has an opportunity if they want to go ahead and try. Now, you know, starting in the Midwest, kind of the East Coast kind of area, coming out to LA, what's the biggest difference of performing in these different parts of the country? It has to be a different audience, different people, different likes, different dislikes. Well, you know, I think uh, growing up on the East Coast, I think comedy was always sort of in your face. And then and then starting in the Midwest, comedy was sort of very intellectual. And I kind of got by early in my comedy career in the Midwest by being a guy who was just entertaining to listen to. Mm. Uh, so my material didn't necessarily have to be good 
well written. And there were usually guys that were, you know, my travels before I moved to LA, there were guys that were good performers and there were guys that were good writers. There were rarely guys that were both. And then when I moved to LA, I, I learned pretty quickly, like, wow, every, everybody out here is pretty good at both. And so I think I spent maybe the first year or two I was in Los Angeles from 2009 to 2011 just focusing on developing my writing style mm-hmm. and the way that I, I would sort of uh, lay out topics or address different things to, to try to have a unique voice. Yeah, just to kind and of... that's, the, that's the most challenging part for comics, I think, is getting to that point where you have a, a voice or a point of view. Right? You look at a guy like Chris Rock and it's it's always going to be Chris Rock, whether he's talking about, yeah. you know, stuff that's going on in current events, or even if he's talking about the Oscars, he sort of has that quintessential and obvious Chris Rock delivery in everything that he does. And, you know, it takes a while to kind of figure that out and get to that, but I feel like I've gotten there in the last couple of years. But if I would not have moved to L.A., I don't know that I ever would have been challenged to, to work on that. So coming out to LA was definitely worth it in your career, kind of challenged you and put you to the place where you really understood what you needed to be successful, you'd say? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, and it's, it's harder for sure. It's very difficult to get stage time out here. And particularly now with stand-up sort of having a renaissance, it's kind of like it was in the early 90s where there are more people wanting to do comedy and more new comedians starting every day. And a lot of them are really good, you know. So And then you've got, you know, the clubs here in LA. Every night it's like Bill Burr, Joe Rogan, David Tell, Louis C.K., you know, the comedy store the last week it was every night it was Dave Chappelle Chris Rock Louis C.K. jumping on the same shows together so you know when those are the when those are the guys performing the A-level club it uh, you know becomes a little trickier for emerging comedians to get time but that's where you see a lot of these other shows develop throughout the city well absolutely and I would say you know Bill Burr for example I was looking up to see him in Bakersfield my hometown when I was visiting and there were certain things throughout the show that people just did not react to that they didn't think was funny and Bill was kind of saying well this worked in the town before it'll probably work in the town after so from your point of view as a stand-up comedian what is it that you kind of need or want from an audience what are some of the best case scenarios from an audience and the worst case scenarios well you know I think I think the hardest audiences to do comedy for are all white audiences, okay. and, and I should say affluent, right? Because that can be any age, any really economic level, but any any sort of affluent white people all all have kind of the same sense of humor for the most part, where they're very uh, in. in pursuit of appearing politically correct they're yeah. always very averse to laughing anything controversial yeah so i think the best audiences for me are diverse intelligent sort of blue collar audiences people that you know don't mind laughing i remember when i was a kid like the things you would laugh at were the things you weren't supposed to laugh at right I, yeah okay. so i try to keep that alive in my stand-up where you know i'm not making fun of the easy run-of-the-mill non-offensive stuff i like to make fun of the things you're not supposed to talk about yeah and that that's kind of what i write so I can just give you some examples. Like when I performed in Irvine a few years ago, I did a show at the Irvine Improv, and that was probably one of the one of the largest bombings I had. And it wasn't that I was doing anything different; it's just that it was all it was all moms and you know wealthy business people and stuff. Yeah, so, so they weren't exactly the kind that you needed. So you're saying you kind of need people who, first off, are able to kind of make fun of themselves and are able to have an open mind and kind of just realize that you're in a comedy club. Let's go ahead and just enjoy the things that we can't really talk about at work, or you know, that might not be politically correct in the workplace or out and about, but you're in a comedy club, go ahead and just let it go and enjoy the kind of situation, right? Yeah, and people that are smart enough not to just take things at face value. Yeah, I use a lot of sarcasm. If you're somebody who doesn't get 
sarcasm and you take everything I say on stage literally, <laughs> you're going to think I'm Hitler. Yeah, well, absolutely. <laughs> well, that's I mean? that's part of why I wanted you on the show because you and I are, are friends on Twitter. Or we're fo- sorry, we're followers following on Twitter, whatever you want to call it. Anyways, the Falcon idea is that I really love your tweets about the things you were talking about, especially what you were saying about the Oscars a few days ago. And you really just like to call out a lot of the BS and things. So personally, that's kind of comedy I like as well. And I kind of wanted to go ahead and, and uh, have you on the show because I knew you'd be a great point of view. And I have to ask, just because I was just watching it, Always Sunny in Philadelphia is one of my favorite shows writing that has ever existed on the planet would you say that you kind of are, are you a fan of that show are you a fan of that writing do you have any connection to that being that it's in your hometown because rob mcclannery is from philadelphia so a lot of the stereotypes and things that he plays from is in his time being in philadelphia are a lot of those things kind of correct on the show yeah you know i mean the show being placed there i think it makes sense because there's just sort of a general scumbag mentality that, that people from Philadelphia have. So, you know, a lot of that is dead on. I do think just comedically, I think it's not just one of the funniest and best written shows on TV, but I think it's kind of an example. I, I just listened to his episode of WTF with Mark Maron. Yeah. And uh, it was from a couple of years ago. And he talked about selling that show. And he just, he hadn't really done anything in his career before that. He had written a couple things and he had worked on a movie with a famous director and and worked on a script for a movie with a famous director and then that project got dropped. So, you know, Rob McElhaney did not have leverage, as you say, to be able to demand a lot. But he just kind of put his foot down and said, look, I'm not going to sell this show unless I get to show run it or unless, uh, and, and I get to decide who's going to be in it. And he stuck to his, you know, stuck to his guns and, and um, ended up getting the show on FX and got, you know, was able to kind of get his way in terms of his vision. And you look how successful that show's been and how long it's run. I know. Six- and then you look at a lot of these Frankenstein shows, and what I mean by that is a show like Mulaney, where you got a guy who's a brilliant stand-up comedian like John Mulaney, but he didn't put his foot down and say, look, we're making this show, yeah. and that's it. And so you get guys like Martin Short shoved into your show, and you get Elliot Gould shoved into your show, because some executives said, oh, we need to have a household name. Mm. And, and then the show just goes in a million different directions and it falls flat and it gets canceled after one season. So I, I think that Sonny is a great example of like, stick to your guns and if you're a talented person and you know funny, you have to have faith in that. You have to be willing to say no when people want to kind of change your vision for things. And, yeah. It's sort of that fearlessness you talk about, like I, like I try to have on Twitter, when it's like, if I'm going to make fun of something, I'm going to go for the jugular. I'm not going to try to beat around the bush. Yeah. Well, you know, it goes back to your voice that's saying that you know who you are. You're not trying to be something you're not. I'm, my name is Connor Falk, and it's called the What the Falk Show. And I'm using the word, you know, we'll beep it out, but F U C K, and I'm using it in, in place of Falk. And obviously, that's a joke that I'm making. I'm not going to be that guy that tries to be like Dan Rather or something, because that's not me. So, Josh Dinney, right. that you know your comedy, you can understand exactly what you're going to sell and whatnot. And that has been successful for you so far. You've been on a lot of different stages around the country. You have a lot of work with Funnier Die on ghosts and shit and daddy issues. Now, what's it like when you go ahead and, and change the, the view from kind of being stand-up to kind of doing on-camera work is funny. I also saw some of your reel that you were, uh, you asked some questions on a Comedy Central show. How do you kind of prepare for that? Is it a lot different or what's the process? Well, it is. I think I think with stand-up, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a monologue, right? You're going, yeah. you're going one direction and you're giving, you're kind of just giving. And um, with 
with acting particularly, you know, I think the most important trait is really being able to listen and um, being able to listen to kind of the vision of the director and what they want. And, and um, sometimes that's outside of what you would think funny, right? Yeah. Um, but that's, it's being able to set that aside and really just having the respect for the people that were nice enough to hire you to create their vision. So as much as I said on your own project, you know, you can't really compromise. You can't compromise. When it comes to working on other people's projects, that's the thing you have to be willing to do the most, I think. Otherwise, you just, you're an asshole on set. Nobody wants to work with you. Now, would you rather get on a network right now with like David Spade on a CBS show and get 22 episodes of work, or would you rather go ahead and get con- the consistent stand-up work you're getting and maybe, maybe you know, bigger venues here and there? What exactly are you, you know, would you rather be the most famous stand-up comedian ever like Louis C.K., or would you rather get all that work on television as an actor? Well, it's interesting. You know, you take a look at that. There's people that have gone both ways with it, right? But, yeah. Um, I, I think no matter what, no matter what kind of breaks you get doing television or whatever else, it's it, Stand-up comedy and being a comedian with a voice is a 20-year commitment. Mm. I mean, no matter who's done what, it's taken these guys 20 years to become elite comedians, right? Yeah. Rock, rock kind of, uh, you know, we could say rock got there early, but I mean, that dude started in the late 80s or mid-80s, right? Did SNL and did In Living Color and all that stuff before he did Bigger and Blacker, which was kind of the big thing that really propelled his career that HBO special yeah. so there's a lot of there's a lot of examples like that I mean people said that about Dallas Anakis when he did the first Hangover movie like oh that guy just broke overnight it's like yeah he's 43 years old or whatever <laughs> and he's been doing it for 20 years well, yeah. so I think even if even if you're doing TV and stuff early on like look at Pat Oswalt he did and then Kevin James, they did all of that television and everything else. And, and Patton's kind of just gotten to the point in the last five, six years where he is a, a theater comedian. And that to me is really like, that's making it a stand-up, right? Being able to do thousand-seat theaters mm-hmm. uh, and kind of do your own shows. You can do them anywhere in the country and you're you, you're making an adequate living just off of that. Exactly. Same with Gaffigan. You know, Jim Gaffigan, same deal. He's done a lot of acting and stand-up and everything else, but it's been 20 years. Louis, it was 20 years. And Bill Burr is, you know, 20-plus years. So you kind of just have to have that in mind of, I'm nine years in, and so for me to expect anything at this point would still be a little premature. So you just kind of put your head down, and I think when I'm out of my career, I'm trying to have an open mind with what the next big thing could be and, and just do whatever I think will help me gain more exposure and gain more fans. Well, that's a great point because personally for someone who's loved entertainment, I've always been a cinephile. I've always been one of those movie dorks that was on INDB when I was like in junior high just searching all this stuff and then now that I've had the pleasure of working on television and film be it in front or behind the camera, I see all these people that I've been watching and enjoying for years and then eventually, eventually the masses start noticing them and they become like a famous person like Galifianakis. He was on this great movie Out Cold where I remember this funny guy that was uh, having sex with a... Yeah, 2000, uh, what was yeah. it? 2001 that movie? Yeah, exactly. With this I was like, who's this funny guy with the beard that's having sex with his hot tub? This is fucking awesome. And then I see him in The Hangover, and now every single person knows who he is. And there's a lot of people like that, like Michael Kelly, for example, from House of Cards. I've been watching him for years, and now he's a household name. So I think it's right of what you said about you just have to make an adequate enough amount of money, right? You know, hopefully you stay healthy, everything works in your personal life. Make an adequate amount of money, and you eventually, you keep showing up, you show up on time, you're polite, you do your thing. You can kind of make a name for yourself. Look at George Clooney, you know, in Rise of the Tomatoes 3, you know, and by what, 38, 40, he becomes the famous person now everyone knows who george clooney is you just got to keep working you never know when it's going to happen 
I don't think it's like it was back in the 50s and 60s where there were television stars and film stars and rarely ever were you both. I mean, you know, and even 20 years ago when reality TV started happening, this idea, they're like, oh, well, that person's just a reality personality, so they could never do something else. Then you look at somebody like Jamie Chung. Yeah. Who started out on the real world and now she's acting in big film. Yeah. And so it, I, I don't think that really matters. I think people have a pretty open mind. And, and I think if you're talented, you're going to get to do things. Yeah. And it might take you a little bit of time to get those opportunities, and you might get things that aren't what you expect in the beginning, and you might have to wait longer to do things you really want to do, but the opportunities will come. You know, have talent, have your voice, and uh, have the work ethic to kind of put yourself in a position. When you get those opportunities, go ahead and uh, show up, and, and hopefully it works out. Maybe it doesn't, maybe it does, but eventually it will, eventually it won't. Either way, it's a very open-ended thing. You have to have some faith, and you really have to put yourself in a position to succeed. Speaking of putting yourself in position, when I started this podcast, I didn't know exactly how it would start. We started with sports. Basically, my buddy comes over and he says, dude, we, we're watching ESPN all the time and movies and stuff, and he's it's like, dude, didn't you just say that? Didn't you just, I was like, yeah, I said that. Comes over one day, re- starts recording with his iPhone, and then from there, we pitch it to a university and then we start doing a show. Now I have my own show. I have this mic. I put some money into the technology. These are things that I don't think people would be able to do in, you know, 1990, 1980s. I can kind of pitch myself, use social media. An example of how you and I met, haven't worked together, found you on social media. I have you as a guest. Now you also are in this. You have your own podcast, the March of the Pigs podcast. What do you think about this new generation of social media and technology and how it's kind of given everyone an opportunity? Well, it's funny because it definitely puts you in the driver's seat more ways than we've ever had before. And I think a lot of the older, more traditional comics sort of hate that because some people have been able to skip ahead quite a bit. You know, Mm -hmm. look at Bo Burnham is probably the best example. He got a a Comedy Central special at 18 years old because of how he was able to utilize YouTube. Yeah. And you could say Dane Cook was a, a success of the same ilk, right? Where yeah. he used MySpace and social media to kind of build his empire. But mm-hmm. but I think as time has, has gone on, you still have to be talented. Yeah. And the, the really talented old guys, like David Teller, Bill Bird, learn that social media and things like podcasts can actually help launch and, and take their careers to new levels, too. And go even farther. Yeah. Okay, so now March of the Pigs podcast. Now, from what I've read and listened to a few episodes, you have great guests on the show, and you kind of go ahead and introduce them to new food, new restaurants that you are into. What kind of made you have the idea to start the March of the Pigs podcast, and when did the love, like how long have you been a love a foodie, you know, restaurant tour? How long has that been a thing for you? Well, I've always been into food and cooking and stuff since I was a kid. Um, it's always been a big part of our family, and a big part of where I grew up. And it was really, to me, the only way to, you know, one of the challenges with having these guests on is some of these guests you do shows with, and you kind of know as an acquaintance around out the L.A. comedy community or in filmmaking or whatever. Um, but you don't really know them as people. And all the podcasts I'd ever done before I did my own were with people that I got to become really good friends with. And yeah. so we developed a rapport over time. So the, the lunch thing is kind of a way of getting to know that person well enough to be funny with them before you have to jump in and do a podcast. And then it also gives us kind of a starting point to just get into the episode and talk about something that we both experienced. And then it kind of spirals into whatever direction. So you can listen to the podcast that I have, and it's, it's so across the board, right? Like, yeah. you'll have an episode like the one I did with Alana Vintrup, who uh, it's kind of like a more serious episode where we're talking about charity, her charity work and everything else. 
and then you listen to the episode I did with comedian Ryan Bro, and it's completely ridiculous and silly and crazy. So I like that. I like that it really doesn't have an identity, and um, and it just sort of takes this organic path. And and that's because that's where I think the funniest stuff comes from. You know, I think you end up getting a lot of variety in the show when you just kind of let it take its course. Which makes for great content and great listen for the for the listeners. And speaking of listeners, you're listening to What the Falk Show. I'm Connor Falk. My guest is comedian, stand-up comedian Josh Denny. You can find the show on SoundCloud, iTunes, or the Stitcher app. Um, Josh, we can find you on Twitter. What's your Twitter handle? At Josh Denny, I believe, right? Yeah, just at Josh Denny. I was lucky enough to get that uh, early on. You're lucky yeah. enough to get ahead of it. There weren't too many Josh Denny's out there. Now, let's go ahead and talk about your upcoming shows. We have March 12th at the Westside Comedy Theater. We have March, thir- uh, March 30th at Townhouse in Venice. Bro, I'm a huge fan of Townhouse. Do you ever go out there? Do you ever party at Townhouse? Yeah, I haven't been there. Um, I haven't been there in a couple years now. But I went there. Uh, I think one of the first years I lived in LA. So now I guess I guess we're going on six, seven years now that I've been in LA. But um, it's one of the best. I guess one of the best comedy shows around LA, and it's been running for a few years. And, yeah, no, and, uh, definitely. Definitely is, man. I don't go out to Venice too much because, you know, you have the bums at night that come out and it just smells like piss, which isn't, you know, my 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 favorite idea of, of an out night. Everything's really expensive. So the, the pee with the expensiveness, you know, just kind of, it pushes me the fuck away. But Townhouse is the place I like to party. As you know, it's an old speakeasy and they have comedy shows. They have burlesque shows downstairs under there. It's dark. It's 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 reasonably priced. So it's a chill place. We're going to check you out on March 30th at Townhouse. And then interesting, from May, May 12th starting on and through the 13th and so on, you're going to be performing in Colorado Springs. Now, I want to ask you, what's it like the travel side of being a comedian? Do you get used to that or do you hate being in hotel rooms or is that something you kind of thrive on? Well, I had a corporate job for a lot of years where I traveled all the time. So oh, the hotel okay. thing doesn't really bother me. I think when you get out, you know, like before I moved to LA in 2008, I went out on a long run with a buddy of mine, Nick Daryl Horner, another comedian out of Minneapolis. So we went out for like 21 days. I think we did 18 shows in 21 days. And they were all like small town bars and shitty hotels. And I think when you do that for a long period of time, like you start to be, you start to become like Jack Nicholson in The Shining, <laughs> where you know, like we're ready to murder each other two weeks into this thing. And it's, you know, you're driving, you're driving seven to 12 hours a day between shows. Oh man. So we used to talk like we get paid to drive and the reward at the end of the day is getting to tell jokes for an hour. You know okay. what I mean? Like <laughs> the work was the driving between these places and in horrible weather. So now going on the road, you know, if, it's, if I get to fly in and drive between a couple cities and do a bunch of shows, you know, that's, that's a pretty funny a pretty fun thing and those shows in Colorado Springs I'm doing with a comedian friend of mine a dude named Landry you know in this business there's so many people that rarely do you get the chance to work with people that you're really close with friends with and that you you get along comedically with and when I say get along comedically with like the kind of person you can sit in the car with and if you have two hours on the road chances are you both write a new 20 minutes of jokes mm. Um, just from spending time together and, and he and I have sort of that comic chemistry that way so it's always fun when we get together and we get to perform and you know and he's a guy like there's sort of this healthy competition where between us like we both want to kill we both want to have great sets and it just makes for a better show where sometimes you get on the road with somebody and you know if you're trying to kill every night you're opening for them they get pissed off you yeah. know and they're like I don't, wanna, I don't want this guy to try to upstage me every night so you know we both we both play sports and we're big sports fans and I think that I think that affects it too where you know 
we don't mind competing and trying to try to outdo each other, and it makes for a fun week. So if anybody that's in that area, and there's going to be some other shows out of that too. We're going to try to get into Denver the day before we start in Colorado Springs, and then before that, I think we're going to try to get into Kansas City. So oh, nice. we should have some other shows attached to that run by the time we get there. Okay, absolutely. And obviously, Josh, I will have your Twitter. I will have your website. You can find it joshdennycomedy.com. I will find everything that they have that they want to check you out. We'll all be on the link of this show. That will be available on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher. Now, uh, speaking of comedy, this is kind of the time where I get to ask some random questions. On the outline I sent you, I put TBD because I don't want you to exactly know what's coming. So I got five random questions for you. Just answer them right off the top of your head. Don't think too much about it. Are you fucking ready to go? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay, first question. Would you rather have a pet dragon or a ninja monkey as a pet? Ninja monkey. It's not even a question. Not even a question. Because then you could like do, I remember that Dane Cook joke, you could like rob banks and stuff and he can go fight your battles for you. Like it'd be awesome to have a ninja monkey. I totally agree. (laughs) Uh, number, t- number two, in your whole life, best video game you've ever played is what? Skies of Arcadia for Sega Dreamcast. Nice. Nice drop. Get a little Sega drop on the show. Hashtag 90s kids. I love it. Um, okay, uh, number three, X-ray vision or you could fly? Oh, uh, fly. Really? Okay. Yeah, I don't need to see. I, what is, I have the internet. I don't need to see people naked. That's true. Well, I just think, like, what if I walked by Kate Upton and I could just use my X-ray vision real quick and just doot, and I'd feel like I'd be yeah, pretty... Yeah, or you could just find the Kate Upton thread on Reddit, and, and it's just as easy. <laughs> true. Well, you know, the fappening... There's not an app for flying. There's not an app for flying. And in LA especially, you think about how hard it is to get in traffic sometimes and get places. Flying would take off so much stress for uh, so many different reasons. Let me tell you what. If, if, forget about X-ray vision. If you live in Los Angeles and you can fly, you're going to get plenty of these. Yeah. You don't need to see anybody naked. <laughs> Yeah, Kate Upton will be there regardless anyway. Okay, so number four, I've seen some weird, like I like to put tapatio on my pizza. It's not that weird, but what's like a weird food thing that you're into that other people might be like, what the fuck are you doing, man? Oh, I don't know. I, you know, pizza, like food-wise, I don't, I don't think I have anything that's super, super weird. I guess I'm, I like really, really hot stuff. Mm. So that might be, that might be the closest thing. But I don't, know, I don't do any weird pregnant lady food stuff. Like I see people do stuff like that all the time and it grosses me out. French fries and the milkshake. That's disgusting. I'm doing that. <laughs> okay, so you're not into the crazy food stuff. Now, number five, again, I don't want to offend you, but I don't think I can because you're, you're kind of one of those guys who's smart enough to understand you're a comedy guy. Yeah. Do you have a soul? Because I know you've watched South Park. Gingers apparently don't have a soul. Very capable people, very awesome humans, but there's no soul there. You're here on the show. Can you go ahead and combat that fact or not? Is that a truth? What? Yeah, I don't think it matters. I don't, <laughs> I don't think it's something I'd ever care enough to fight over. I mean, if I do, everybody does, and if I don't, no. Nobody does. It's just it's, it's to argue that is to like it's, it's something nobody really knows about. So why why get into it? So yeah, yeah. It's just I know a joke. I have I know I have the same the same state of consciousness that other human beings have. It's not an elevated form of it. So you know I don't. Uh, in terms of a soul and being saved and when I die, I don't know. I, I'm not banking on that. So I'm trying to make the most of my life while I'm I'm alive in this state. And uh, I'll worry about all those stuff when I die. I love it. That kind of went a little spiritual, a little existential. I definitely wasn't aiming for that. I guess. I'm just kind of wondering, like, does it bug you? Because sometimes people joke. They never mean it mean, but do people joke about the whole ginger redhead thing? Or is that something that you got over a long time ago? Yeah, I mean, you know, people just, I mean, it's funny because it, it, it seems like I people try to give me more shit for it now than, than when I was a kid. Yeah. But um, it, it's funny because I just lump it into all of the other sort of socially acceptable appearance things we make fun of. Yeah. And then when somebody makes a joke about what it's like to be black or what it's like to be Latino, <laughs> everybody gets offended. <laughs> Like, we can shit on redheaded people or Asian people all day and nobody cares. Did you ever notice that? Yeah. Like, there's, there's yeah. never, like, an outrage over somebody making fun of something Asian, ever. And yeah. I think it's because Asian people don't get mad. Just They just go into their laboratories and make some kind of new 
electronics and then they make a billion dollars and you're not mad anymore. <laughs> they have no problem. I just, in my mind, I'm laughing because I just see like this PSA where there's like this little, this little nice uh, redheaded boy and he's like, you hear like a Sarah McLaughlin music and he's like, why does everybody make fun of us? But no one gets mad, but everyone won't talk or make jokes about all the other cultures and things that are going on. So definitely a double standard. I think anybody in society knows that's certainly a thing in America. Now, another yeah, thing. I, would never, I don't think I could ever get offended at anybody making fun of me culturally because I, Lord knows I am not the, I am, if being a redhead is living in a glass house, I'm throwing way more stones out of it <laughs> than coming into it. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Josh, dude, I really appreciate you being on the show. I think you're a great guest. You gave some great insight to what it's like to be a stand-up comedian. We'll go ahead and have your shows. You got uh, March 12th, Westside Comedy Theater. You can find you there. 3.30 at Townhouse in Venice. And then starting in May, um, you're going to go and be in Colorado, Denver, Kansas City. You're going to try to get into the... I know the guests are going to really enjoy your comedy. I have as well. Go ahead and have your link so they can check that out. Uh, this is your chance to go ahead and say goodbye or say anything you want to to those listeners out there. Yeah, thanks for having me on. And uh, I, I mean, I appreciate it. It's been fun. And, and people can find my stuff on my site, joshdannycomedy.com, or, or they can check it out on Spotify as well. I'm, I'm pretty much everywhere you can buy or download. Your face and your beard is just is everywhere out there. Everywhere out there yeah, for you, you to talk about. It. Can't miss yeah, it. And this is where I'm going to ask, uh, just to help myself out, would you say this is a top 30 podcast experience as, as you've been a guest on in your life, would you yeah, say? Yeah, I think I've done five, so we've got about 25 more before you could even be 25 more. being bumped out. I love it. I love it. I was trying to help myself out and give myself uh, a little bit of wiggle room. Anyways, uh, Josh Denny, again, I really appreciate you being on the show, man. You're a funny guy. I hope you and I can have you on the show again. I hope we can work together someday because you seem like one of those eggs that I wouldn't hate to have to be around and have a conversation with. And, and some days it seems like that's kind of hard to find. So I appreciate it, Josh. And uh, it, you have a great night and uh, you know, yeah. see you around, man. All right, thanks. Peace. That was Josh Denny, comedian, stand-up actor, many different things. Overall, just really talented and hilarious performer. Go ahead and give us some tips and insight about what's it like being a stand-up comic, the traveling, the the, uh, the different regions, the different audiences, the, the positives, the negatives, and everything between in that lifestyle. So maybe someone's out there in the country, in a different world, in a different area. Who knows? And they're thinking, I want to be a stand-up comedian. Hopefully that added some informational, some witty, and some entertaining time to your day. My name is Connor Falk. This is the What the Falk Show. You can find the show on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher. Find us each week. New guests each week. I'm going to start having more stand-up comedians. I want to thank to my previous guests. We've got Hilton Ariel Rees of Zombie with a Shotgun. We have Dre D. Mira, actor, musician. We have Mark Polish, Juan Reyes, um, director and producer of the upcoming movie Headlock with Annie Garcia and Diana Argon. Uh, many different guests I'm lucky to have and uh, I'm excited to do it each week and I appreciate being on the show. Also, Kyle Hester, last actor we had, talked about a lot about the independent film market, about fundraising. He has his projects, The Chair Horror. He has Preacher Six. He has Desiree. He's also going to be with Zombie with a Shotgun. So a nice horror community, acting community that we're kind of involving on the show. Got to support indie film. Got to support indie music. I support anyone else out there who's trying to have their voice heard. They're willing to put in the time to make their own content. Always got to respect those people. Thanks to mom. Thanks to dad. Thanks to friends. Thanks to the listeners. This is Connor Falk. Hope you had a nice Falcon time listening to the show. I will Falcon talk to you soon. Have a good night. <laughs>